Well, good morning at all of our locations and want to welcome you to week two of The World Spins Madly On, volume two. Last year through the month of January, we did volume one and the truth is the world keeps on spinning. Time keeps on slipping, slipping into the future. 1,037 miles per hour, we are bursting through the galaxy, spinning around the sun, and 525,600 minutes a year, 168 hours a week, 24 hours a day. Seasons come, seasons go. Here we are, another year. If you're just joining us, you, you, are, uh, you are in for an opportunity to really evaluate. We've said this over the last few weeks, experience is not the great teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. Evaluated experience. So the question we want to ask is, is there anything you'd like to change this year? And last week, we started with the idea of that it's, it's simply time to decide. It's time to decide, to kill your options, to say it's no more one foot in last year in the rear view and the other foot now in 2024. It's time to decide. And the truth is that the quality of my decisions determine the quality of my life. What I decide, in other words, um, I make decisions and then decisions eventually make me. And so what this series really is about is the power of predecision. Deciding before the situation. In other words, um, determining the course of action. You can write it down in your notes. Determining the course of action before the moment of decision. When the heat is on in the middle of the moment, I have already decided. And the statement that we're going to be working through over the next few weeks is, when faced with whatever this situation is, I have already decided to take this action. So when faced with anything and everything in life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the known, the unknown, things that are clear and things that are not clear. Um, I have already decided, and the truth is that can sound intimidating, doesn't it? It sounds intimidating that to already decide, even when you're in the middle of the moment, the truth is you have already predecided. It's just many of us have already predecided to take the wrong action instead of the right. So it, when it comes to anything and everything, I have already predecided to worry about it or fly off the handle or, you know, just do it myself. I don't need any help. I'm good running it solo. Do you know that in the Bible, the first bad thing, the first not good thing that God says, it's not sin. It's not the devil. The first bad thing in the Bible, the not good thing, it is not good for man to be alone, but we love to kind of isolate and do things ourselves. Ultimately, when faced with anything and everything, sometimes we pretty much already decide that we know better than God. And we wouldn't necessarily write it that way, comment that way on Facebook, say it to our spouse that way, but whenever we put our way over God's way in any way, that's sin. And God wants to invite us to do it his way. And so this whole series, when faced with anything and everything, as the world spins madly on, because if you don't want to change, you don't have to. If you don't want to change, if you don't want to take a next step, you don't have to. But as the world spins madly on, when faced with anything and everything, I have already decided. And this is where our series is going to kind of envelope these things to seek God first more than anything else. And all the other things are added to be unoffendable. What does that even look like? We'll talk about that in a minute. To not be a go-getter, to be a go-giver. 
and to pursue God's dream for our lives. God has a dream for your life. You get to choose the velocity. God has a dream for this church. We get to choose the velocity. And the truth is this. God wants you to get where God wants you to go. God wants you to get to where God wants you to go more, more than you want to get where God wants you to go. He is for you, not against you. And we've already said it. People who want to change have to take a next step. And here's what's beautiful about that statement. It's not that people who want to change have to change everything all at once. People who want to change have to take giant leaps. People who truly want to change have to take a next step. It's what we call the consistency effect. Write this down in your notes. The consistency effect. See, commitment can get you to the sermon. Commitment can get you to the Sunday. Commitment can get you to the decision. Commitment gets you to the starting line. Consistency gets you to the finish line. And the consistency effect is all about small things consistently over time lead to big things. Small little decisions, 1% here, 1% there, 1% here, 1% there. Small things consistently over time lead to big things. Small decisions are big decisions in disguise. Small differences are big differences in disguise. Both good and not so good. Take these for example. You want to save money? Small things over time add up. The power of consistent Investment, the power of consistently saving, eating better, working out, listening more, giving, reading your Bible, praying, small amounts given over time lead to bigger things. And what can happen is we haven't read our Bible through in a year or we haven't read our Bible very much and it feels overwhelming. So we're going to start big, like start small. Or we haven't really gotten into the habit of praying and seeking God. It's okay. Start somewhere. That's why we do the 21 days of prayer. And we're in week two, starting this week on 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. prayer. Invite you, be a part. And listen, if all you do is just show up, that's a small thing that consistently will lead to a big thing. But you know what else leads to big things? Splurging. Little splurge here and there leads to big splurging. Complaining, losing it, worrying, holding a grudge. All of that can be small things, little bitty, little bitty comments, little bitty, little bitty annoyances. And over time, they lead to bigger things. A life, the kind of life that gets sucked away from you over time. And you look back and you have become bitter. You've become cynical. You have become critical. You can become Rude, people who want to change have to take a next step. And there's something I want to drill deep on today, and it's this whole idea of consistently over time, this thing leads to big things. This situation leads to big results in a negative way. What I want to talk to you about is this whole idea of offense. (laughs) Offense is offense. It will keep you out of places you ought to go because people are so easily. We are living in a season, and that season is a long season of people being easily offended from opinions to politics to perspectives to choices. We just love to be offended these days. And I want to unpack some some facts about offense And I want to start with, in the Bible, the word offense, in the Greek, in the Greek language, the word used 
to describe offense is this word scandalon. Everybody, all locations, sc- say it with me. Scandalon, say it. Scandalon. Yeah, just say. You know, you know what's the beginning of that? Scandal. Do you know that we are so attracted to scandals? We are so, but like, like it's, oh, what happened now? Oh, what, why did they do that? Why did they resign? Or what are they saying? Or I wonder what's behind what they were really saying. I mean, scandal on. And here's what that word means. You can write it in your notes. It is the bait that triggers a trap to close. It is the cheese on the lever of the rat trap. It's the cheese. And you and I, we scurry about and we become, we come face to face with something that, that we get interested in, okay? And, and, and all of a sudden we, boom, we can take that bait, we take that cheese and snap, we are trapped. Now, why do we do that? Why, why, why do you set a rat trap in the garage? Why do you set a rat trap in the kitchen? Why do you set a trap at all? Well, you set a trap to kill or cage something, It doesn't matter how big you think you are. The enemy wants to set a trap. And you being so easily offended, the enemy lives for nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy you. And if they can set a trap, if the enemy can set a trap to kill you or cage you, it doesn't matter. You are stuck, scandal on, and you've taken the bait. Now, here's the reality of it. Scripture says in Luke 17, Jesus says, it's impossible, impossible that no offenses should come. So so it doesn't mean that you can live completely without offense. When I talk about unoffendable, it doesn't mean that, that there won't be offenses, okay? So write it down in your notes. Avoiding an offense is impossible. Something that irks you, twists you, burns you up, ticks you off. Avoiding those offenses are absolutely impossible. It's going to happen. That doesn't make you unholy. That makes you super, like, you know, real. It makes you human. But living offended is a choice. Avoiding it is impossible. Living it out Taking the bait, okay? Taking the bait and getting trapped and caged. You can choose. You can choose. Let me give you some thoughts on offense. If you're taking notes, just write some of these down. We're going to buzz through these. First, there is no win in living offended. We love to get the last word in edgewise and we raise our hands like we're at the top of the Philadelphia steps like Rocky because, yeah, how you like me now? I got that last word in. I gave you what I really thought. I'll not see you again this, you know, in the next three Christmases, family, because I'm going to show you, right? There is no win in living offended. Here's what happens. Living offended obscures my vision. Do you remember the analogy that Jesus gives? He says, you need to be careful when you go around judging other people because you are pointing out the speck in their eye when you have a log in your own eye. And living offended obscures my vision. It it keeps me from seeing the potential. It keeps me from seeing 
what God might want me to see. It keeps me from seeing opportunity. Instead, I only focus on the obstacle or the opinion or the, uh, you know, uh, knucklehead. Living offended obscures my vision. Why would you want to live like that? Here's another one. Living offended allows bitterness to sink its teeth into my heart. Bitterness, like, gets into my heart. Some people are afraid of vampires. I'd be afraid of offense because living offended will suck the life out of you. Anybody know someone who's just been bitter over things? Being a bitter person does not a better life make. Bitterness will, will, will rot the bones, the Bible says. Like it affects you even physically. There's not a whole lot of attractive, bitter people. There just isn't. Living offended, I mean, it, it, it sinks into, like it's cancer to your bones. Here's another one. Living offended installs a governor on my gladness and generosity. Had some friends come over the other day after Christmas. They had brought some four-wheelers over, and their little kids were riding them. I said, man, these things are huge. They said, well, we installed a governor, making sure that they don't go too, too fast. Like, you know, you got to have a little bit of a, like some boundary or some border. Well, living offended puts a border, puts a boundary. It puts a governor on your gladness and your generosity. The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness, not sadness. But how can you serve the Lord with gladness if you're walking around ticked off by somebody? How can you be generous with your words, generous with your time, generous with your talent, and yes, generous with your treasure if you are so easily offended? It puts a governor. Listen, listen, listen. Gratitude and living offended cannot coexist. Living offended will suck the life out of you while simultaneously living with gratefulness and generosity, it actually fills your life with incredible things. All this to say, living offended will rob me blind. Not only will it start by obscuring my vision, but it'll just rob you and you'll look back and you'll have missed so many opportunities. You will have wasted so much time You'll have tried to get back things that you can never get back because you said things you never can unsay. Living offended will rob you of opportunity. So it's time to decide. It's time to decide. Are you going to live offended? So easily offended. If you want to have a group of friends that are easily offended, go to Facebook. You can find them anywhere. I can find them anywhere. Now, how does this play out in real time? Let me give you a very simple Example, a very simple example that can be from anybody's life, including my own. Let, let's look at it. I'm going to give you a timeline of what it looks like on living offended. Are you ready? So we're going to go to the world of reading a post on Facebook. And at 4.10 in the afternoon, I see a negative comment about XYZ. It's about the church. It's about me. It's about somebody from the outside looking at, oh, must be nice, or, or man, they don't even care about, or a real church would do this, or a real pastor would preach this way, or I don't need a TV screen. I need the open Bible in order to, like, like all of it, you name it, it's been written, and at 410, I can read a negative comment about XYZ, and so then at 415, I just stew about it. 
For the next five minutes, I stew about it. And finally, about 4.20, I begin to craft a snarky response. I like to be pretty, you know, good with my words. The truth is, Proverbs says, words are poison or words are fruit. You choose, and I choose a little poison right now. I kind of, you know, put the little poison on the tip of the words, and I come up with a snarky response. And at 4.35, I've I've responded, and I hit reply. (laughs) And then I walk away, drop the mic style. (laughs) Until about... 440 and I feel bad and I go to delete it and then at 441 I see that someone has already replied to it and so now I'm kind of circling back and editing my reply to make it a little bit nicer because I don't want to be that jerk who just kind of responded that way and and then at 530 I eat dinner Um, but I'm also you know checking my phone in the middle of dinner instead of talking with my family because I want to know if anybody else has responded to it. Then by the time I get to 545, I see an additional negative comment, and so I keep on going. At 627, I write another response, a little nicer, but still trying to make my point. Then at 730, I see a new negative comment, and then I ignore my son's request to go ride bikes around the neighborhood because I'm doing the Lord's work and dealing with something very important, and I don't have time to ride bikes with you, Graham, because here at 745, I finally respond to that person instead of the other person and then at 842 I just stop responding just forget it uh but I do continue stewing and checking my phone until 117 in the morning to see what else is said has anybody else been sucked into the vortex of the stupidity of living offended especially in front of a screen with people that are keyboard warriors I mean that's one way to do it you can live that way or or 410, I see a negative comment about XYZ. 415, I think about it. I consider if there's any potential truth to it. Maybe, maybe I should take curiosity instead of defensiveness. You know, curiosity killed the cat, but it makes you a much better leader. Instead of going to defense stew mode, I consider what they're saying. That's not going to hurt anything. That doesn't make them right to consider it. Okay. Then by 420, I thank him for the feedback. Thank him for the feedback and... Offer to clarify if he's open to hearing a different perspective. There you go. 5.30, I eat dinner and I hear about everyone else's day. And then at 6.30, I get to ride bikes with my son. It's the power of taking the bait or not. It's the power of the scandalon that wants to suck you into every little thing that at the end of the day doesn't really matter. Here's what the wise book of Proverbs says. Words of God to us. A person's wisdom yields patience. A person's wisdom yields patience. It produces it. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now we're going to take this scripture right here. We're going to break it down for just a second. We're going to take a good look at overlooking. Take a good look at over looking. When I, when I overlook my son, uh, it means I've ignored them. This doesn't mean the same at overlooking. It means I look over it. It means I'm able to get around it. It means that I'm aware of it. Taking a good look at overlooking, how do we do that? Well, number one, a person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. So number one, write it down. Not everyone overlooks an offense. Not everyone, because it's impossible to not be offended. Not everyone overlooks it. But guess who does? The wisest people do. It is to one's wisdom. 
is a person's wisdom that produces patience with people that got all kinds of opinions that, that aren't even right. But you are a wise person. I think if we were to do a poll today and I were to say, how many of you would love to be known as someone who's a fool? Or how many of you would love to be known as someone who's wise? <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee that the right, that the people with their heads screwed on straight would want to be the wise person. It is wise for you to overlook an offense. Here's the next one, number two. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I mean the glory road. I mean the power and the glory. When we talk about the glory of God, here's what glory means. The full weight of who God is. His glory, like all of him. When my kids were small, we would wrestle in the living room and they would pin me. They would pin me, I got you, dad. I got you. Like, oh, you got me. I was not sharing my whole glory. I, 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 was, not, I was holding back my full weight. Now my son's 15 and he's still, he's, he's, he's a little like, I think I can take you. I'm like, bring it. You get one chance. You get one chance. I ain't going to withhold my glory now, baby. He's going to get the full weight. If he feels froggy, jump, baby. But here's the truth about it's to one's glory. Look, overlooking an offense makes me a heavyweight. It makes me a heavyweight. It makes me a world champion. It's to your glory, your weight, the full weight of who God is through you to overlook those kind of things. And that's number three, to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense, well, number three, when I overlook an offense, I'm stepping over it. I see the scandal on. I see the bear trap that is that comment, the bear trap that is that defensiveness, the bear trap that is that um, snarky response your mother-in-law always has. The, 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 the bear trap is the snarky response you always have, and you're actually the one that's offending everybody else. When I overlook an offense, I'm stepping over it. It's impossible to truly avoid it all the time. But if you want to live offended, that's completely a choice. Now, here's the deal. For some of us, ignoring, stepping over it, not addressing it, you'd, you'd say this, and maybe I would say it too, like, this feels weak. This feels weak to not like, give your opinion or, or let the truth stand to make sure that they know because they need to know. But let me ask you this. Who's the real weak one? Who's the real weak one when there's an offense, okay? Is it the one who steps over it? The one who sees something that's stupid, ridiculous, absolutely uh, uh, unfounded? Is the one who can step over that? Or... The one who gets trapped in it. Who's the foolish one? The one that can see the trap of the enemy and go, <laughs> or the one that can say, I would love to respond to that, but I'm just gonna step over it. Okay, so here, here's what let's do. Pop quiz. Pop quiz for you and for me. All right, pop quiz. I want you to name something you're offended about, offended by right now. Now that something might be someone. Take a minute, take a second. Something's offending you. 
It is um, somebody who continues to post a political preference and the way they say it is so stupid or so short-sighted on either side of the aisle, it offends you. It, it offends you that uh, your family doesn't recognize the hard work you put in. It offends you that your spouse continues to point out something negative. It offends you that they don't see all the positive things. They only tend to point out that one thing. Okay. I want you to name something that you're offended by. Because the truth is, it's obscuring your vision. And it's the consistency effect. Small things over time will produce big things. And small little things you're getting offended by can become massive, what the lawyers would say, irreconcilable differences. That if you were to rewind the clock, there was nothing irreconcilable about it. It's just small things consistently over time led to big things. Can you name it? Can you see it? Just set it out there. Just let it be. We're not, we're, we'll fix, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but, but just name it and put it there. Maybe you'd scratch and like kind of put a circle and write it on, on your notes. What is it? And now what we're going to do is we're going to pre-decide to step over it. We're going to pre-decide. We're going to decide right now. I'm going to step over that. This next seven days, I'm not going to get sucked in like a tractor beam into Facebook stupidity. I'm not going to get sucked in the tractor beam at break room water cooler fodder about supervisors and bosses. Okay, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. You're going to pre-decide right now. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to step over those things. And the truth is, though, some of us in the room, um, there are just some things you can't avoid that does offend, that does hurt, that does wound. And what happens when you can't step over it? Like a abuse um, or an affair. But what happens when it's a freedom that's been taken from you? Or it's a kindness that's been, um, uh, like, ignored? What happens when you can't step over it? It's your trust that has been broken. It's, it's lies that you thought were the truth and now it's been exposed and it's, and it's lies and, and it's wounded you so deeply. I know that that's a reality for many of us. So when you can't step over it, you do got to get through it. You do got to get through it. So let's go back to our, our working statement when it comes to this series. When faced with offense, this situation, okay, what does pre-deciding look like? Two things I want to give you, and then one final thought. Two things. First one is this. I have already decided to be someone who, and you already have, you have already decided to be thin-skinned. You have already decided to be critical. You have already decided to be easily offended. You've already decided to get back at them. You've already decided that, but let's rewind. Let's back it up and let's pre-decide. Here's the first one. I'm, I've already decided to be someone who evaluates my elbow. 
What in the world does that even mean? Evaluates my elbow. I want you to think about that for a second. You know something I don't think about very often? Is my elbows. I, I, don't, I don't get up and look in the mirror and say, how those elbows doing? How those elbows looking, right? Um, the only time I ever think about my elbows is if I kind of hit it wrong and I hit that funny bone, and then I think about my elbow, right? Um, I just, unless there's a pain, unless there's a sprain, unless there's a hurt, unless there's a scratch, unless there's an itch, I don't think very much about my elbow. So the need to evaluate my elbow doesn't come very often unless it gets inflamed. Now, when it gets inflamed, when it gets hurt, when I've got that tennis elbow, when I've got that, that pain, when I've twisted it, then I can't help but notice it, can I? Well, here's what we're going to do. Let's not use the word elbow, but using that same cross out elbow and say someone who evaluates my ego. Because do you know that the truth is you don't really think about your ego ever. You don't look in the mirror and think about how you're coming across, how you are living maybe above other people, like maybe living a little prideful. Do you know what E-G-O, ego, you know, you can use a little acrostic for it, edging God out. It's where I edge God out of my life and I take the throne, I know better than him, and my ego can get inflamed thinking I deserve, I deserve to respond, I deserve to set the record straight, I deserve to have the last word edgewise, I deserve it. And some of us have got to already pre-decide that we're going to take some rhythm steps, some rhythmic next steps to evaluate our own ego, our own pride. And the truth is, if you will humble yourself, that doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It just means like not, you know, not thinking about yourself as much and evaluate your own ego. See if it's inflamed. See if it's something that you should address. But the next one is this. When faced with offense, I've already decided to be someone who, and when you can't step over it, you got to get through it. And the only way to get through it is to be someone who forgives, to be someone who truly forgives. These aren't in your notes, but for some of you, the next statements you need to take and you need to deposit them in the bank of your heart and then withdraw them at the right time. The truth is forgiveness is not an event. It's not a moment. I forgive. Kind of like Michael Scott in the office where he steps out into the main bullpen and he says, I declare bankruptcy. And they say, Michael, you can't declare. It's not, that's not how it works. You, you know, he says, no, I, yeah, it's how it, I just declared it, Oscar. But you don't just declare forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an event. Forgiveness is a process. Even Peter in the Bible says, how many times should I forgive? Um, seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. What does that mean? It takes a while. It's a process. Forgiveness is not dependent upon an apology that you're going to get. Some of you are waiting to forgive because they need to apologize and they're never going to do it. They don't even know you are owed one and they should, but they don't. And you have been trapped waiting for an apology that will never come. 
Forgiveness is not about they're getting an apology. Forgiveness is about just one person forgiving, and that's you. It just takes one. Whether they see it or not, whether they know not, whether they feel the weight of it or not, it just takes one to forgive, and that's you. You get to choose. Predecide. I'm going to be someone who forgives. Forgiveness may not change their heart. They may never even know that they needed to be forgiven. But do you know what? Forgiveness always changes your heart. Forgiveness changes you from the inside out. If you don't forgive, you are walking around, taking the bait, and you're trapped where the enemy wants you. Forgiveness is not about forgetting or ignoring. Doesn't mean, hey, you know, forgive and forget. You're not gonna forget, because you're human. So forgiveness isn't about forgetting it or even ignoring it. Stepping over it doesn't mean I'm ignoring it. As a matter of fact, stepping over it makes sure I'm very, very aware of it. So it's not that I'm ignoring it, it's that I'm choosing not to put my foot into it. it. I'm choosing not to let my life be trapped by it. I am going to, it's not about ignoring, it's not about forgetting. Here's the truth, forgetting is, forgiveness is remembering. But it's not remembering what they've done. Forgiveness is about remembering what Jesus did for me. That as he was betrayed by his own friends in the garden, where he was sweating drops of blood, praying because his time was close, and he asked his three closest friends, will you just pray with me? And they wouldn't even pray with him. They couldn't even stay awake for him, and he could have been so easily offended. He's having the Last Supper. He even says to Judas in the moment, go do what you need to do. He could have been so easily offended. Judas uses a kiss. How rude. How arrogant. A kiss that would mean love, but it was betrayal. And Jesus could have been so easily offended. Peter's offended. Peter cuts a dude's ear off to try and protect Jesus. Jesus takes the ear, heals the guy, and says, Stop. Forgiveness is remembering what Jesus did for me that after being beaten and beard plucked out and crown of thorns and nailed to a cross and stripped naked and mocked. The first words from his mouth on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, the truth is, forgiveness is not a feeling. Because you're not going to always feel like forgiving. But do you know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision. And in a world that feelings tend to lead us, emotions tend to get ahead of us, that we tend to respond to our feelings. What can happen is, our feelings lead and our decisions follow. But here's what Christ followers do. Here's what someone that is the world spends madly on has already decided to be more like Jesus. Decisions lead. And the feelings follow. Jesus was in the middle of, oh, not my will, but yours be done. But the time for predecision was there. He says, nevertheless, not my will. Yours be done. Decisions lead. 
feelings follow. So what is it that you've been offended by? Who is it that you've been offended by? Are you allowing bitterness to create weeds in your heart? It's clouding your potential. It's obscuring your vision and robbing you blind. Are you gonna decide today? I'm gonna live unoffended. I'm gonna step over it. I'm not gonna be attracted to the scandal. Enemy's not gonna get a foothold in this heart. Friends, it's time to decide. People who wanna change have to take a next step. All locations, would you close your eyes and pray? In just this moment, I wanna invite you to do almost like a uh, exercise with me. That you would just place your hands on your heart and then slowly take your hands from your heart and kinda just hold them open like this, like you would be holding your heart in your hands. Let's pray. Jesus, will you search our heart? Is there anything that's got us trapped? In order for us to be who you've called us to be, in order to get where we want to get, <laughs> scratch that, in order for us to get where you want us to get, we can't stay trapped with these things. So we offer it to you. We humble ourselves. choose to forgive and it's a process it's not this event right now this is just the beginning of the 70 times 7 we choose to let it go we choose to overlook we choose to speak life instead of to speak negatively we choose your way over our way we have pre-decided to be unoffendable we want to be heavyweights we want to be wise. And we thank you, Lord, that you led the way. You didn't leave us a mathematical equation. You left us a perfect life. You lived the perfect life, the unoffended life. And when we can't, thank you that your grace abounds and gives us another chance to start over. And as this world spins madly on, we choose your way today. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God, Everybody said amen.